If you decided to listen to this week's message of Daxadeo Fichard Park, we know that Jesus has placed something on your heart. So let's dive in. So friends, we are starting a new sermon series tonight called Come As You Are. And uh, I would love for you just to pray with me that God would lead us in this moment to discover more of His truth. So let's pray together. Lord, we are so privileged to have Your Word open in front of us, but we also are so privileged, Holy Spirit, that You would come and break open Your Word, break open truth in our hearts and in our lives tonight, so that we would be able to say we are loved by You, we are welcomed by You, and I pray that You would speak to each and every one of us tonight. Amen. Who have uh, recently received an invitation to a dinner party or just a party in general or just a chips and buns thing? Okay, anyone recently? You get those nice people if, uh, I mean, you prepare for it, you're going to this person's house and then you, you have these incredible friends if you ask them the night before, can I bring anything? They say, no, just come as you are. Just come to my place. Do you have friends like that? Uh, then you have the other kind of friends that say the night before you ask them, uh, can I breathe something? Then they, yes, please, meat and something to drink. Vegans, Lord help you. Bring your mushrooms. It's fine. Put it on the fire. No judgment in the place. Bring your zucchini and your hoverboard or whatever. Come and put it on the fire. But the thing is, you get people that say, bring your meat and your cold drinks. Uh, then you get other people that say, yes, come to our place and would you please bring the food? We have drinks. Do you know people like that? <laughs> uh, I mean, for a student, let me just put it out there. It's heaven on earth when someone says, come to my place and come as you are. You don't have to bring anything. Just come and eat, come and feast. Any student in the house? Yes. All right, all right, all right, all right, all right. So, well, if someone, you get those invitations where people say, if you have nothing on, please come to my place. Have you get, uh, recently got one of those? Make sure that you please have something on, like physically. Like, if you have nothing on on Saturday, come to my place. Like, I have something on every day. Like, okay. <laughs> Need a simple grapiki. But the amazing thing is... <laughs> I see the crowd is a bit sticky tonight, so my humor is done for Jan, so I'm trying to get some new stuff going for February. Help me, people, help me. You see, some well-meaning people would tell you that you can only come to Jesus if you clean up your lives or your life, not your lives, your life. You can only come to Christ if you figure the Christian thing out, then you can come to Him. You first have to get rid of sin. You first have to dress like a Christian. It seems like there's a specific dress code if you're a Christian. Uh, you have to talk like a Christian. You have to get rid of your dirty words before you come to Jesus. Some well-meaning people will tell you, you have to sort out your doubt before you come to Christ. You know, you have to believe like a child. You know, 
go all in. You see, some well-meaning people would tell you to come to Jesus only if you have life figured out. You know, you can't be like that. Someone would tell you in your workplace, you know, you, they would ask, what did you do this weekend? And you say, well, I was in church. And they're like, you? Were you in church? You're like, bro, you know, you've never been to a church, but I was there. I know I'm weird, you know, but I just went, you know. Some well-meaning people will tell you that you don't qualify to be part of God's family. And you know what? That is actually the basis of every religion on this planet. If you take Islam, for instance, they teach that there are five pillars. If you go through them, then you would have favor with God. In Hinduism, they teach that if you get the karma thing right, then you will be connected to the many gods. In Buddhism, they teach that if you meditate enough and you get the meditation thing and you do good stuff, you would come to a place of enlightenment where you would be connected to God. In Christianity, people would tell you to, you have to know your Bible, you have to sort out your life, you have to, you know, um, curse less, you have to sin no more, you have to be a good Christian and clean up your social media life, and then you would be qualified as a Christian. Can I say it bluntly tonight? That is religion. And religion has two effects on a person's life. The first one is it puffs you up. You feel very good about yourself spiritually. Or it breaks you down. You feel like a loser in terms of your spirituality. You see, Jesus said that you can come as you are. Or in bloom, you can come as you is. In your broken English. <laughs> it's as if I want to put a banner outside this church that says, no perfect people allowed. Sorry, if you're perfect, go now because you, you make us feel bad. <laughs> you see, Jesus said the following in Mark chapter 2 verse 17. He said the same thing. He says, on hearing this, Jesus said to them, that's the Pharisees and the scribes. He says, it's not the healthy who need a doctor. Any medicine students here tonight? Yes, only one of you. The rest is studying, I suppose. You think that you, you're okay without studying. I love it. I love the passion. It's great, it's great, it's great. You know, I mean, it would be just weird if someone walks into a doctor's office and the doctor asks, can I help you with something, something wrong? And you're just like, no, everything is fine. I just need conversation. <laughs> it's a very expensive conversation. Jesus says, it's not the healthy who needs a doctor, but the sick. He says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. He uses this very, very intense word. Jesus says, I did not come for the perfect. I did not come for the righteous. I came for the sick. I came for the hurting. I came for the unhealthy. I came for them. 
to come and bring healing and restoration and reconciliation. Jesus says, come as you are. I want to take you to a very interesting story in the Old Testament tonight. If you have your Bible with me, you can turn to 2 Samuel 9. I don't know if you've read there recently, but what a beautiful book. Go to 2 Samuel 9 in your Bible, on your phone, uh, then you can read with me. This portion of scripture is about a person named Mephibosheth. <laughs> if you can say that tonight, I will buy you a coffee without, not Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth. Huh? <laughs> I've been practicing that the whole week. <laughs> it's a story about a guy named Mephi. I'm just going to call him Mephi because I, I've made a promise to myself I'm going to get it right once and then I'm done for the night. All right. <laughs> Mephibosheth. There we go. So Mephi from now on. It's a very interesting story about a guy and he was the son of Jonathan. And Jonathan was the son of the evil king Saul. And what happened was there was this moment where David took over leadership from Saul. God appointed him. Uh, and, uh, the prophet came to anoint him. He, was, uh, he, he conquered the, the giant. Uh, and then he became the king of Israel. And the bad thing about that specific moment in time was that it was the culture of kings and monarchs to basically, if you become the new king, you transition as the new king, your army would go and kill off the offspring and the slaves and the family of the previous king to make sure that they would not overthrow the new kingdom. So what happened here was David sent his whole army to go and kill off the family of King Saul. Now you have to understand Jonathan was his best friend. They had a bit of a covenant going and his son was Mephi. And what happened in that moment was Mephi was on the wrong part of the transition. If you just think about it. So at the age of five, the armies came to, to uh, their specific household and the nurse took him in his arms and ran for their lives. And she tripped, they fell, and this little boy was lame from five years onward in his life. He broke his back. Go and read it into Samuel. So what happened was this guy was sent to a town called Lodabar, which was a refuge kind of city that people went to that was left for dead or people went to that was found out to be criminals, but they were falsely accused. So this was a safe place to go. So this guy was a lame beggar in the city of Lodabar. Now, you have to understand, just a few chapters before that, in 2 Samuel chapter 5, something incredible happens. David, as the new king, establishes his rule by taking over the city of Jerusalem that was ruled at that time by the Jebusites. You can say that with me, Jebusites. 
But you see, the Jebusites was overconfident of their walls, so they insulted David by saying, listen, you will never enter our city. We, he actually, they actually mocked him by saying, we're going to put our lame people and our blind people on the walls to fight against your army. They were so overconfident of the walls of the city. And David, as the rocker that he was, was a very clever guy. So he conquered the city by cutting off the water supply of the city. It's basically bloom. You think that it's bloom water that's letting us down. Maybe it's an army that wants to take over the city. It's like, no, <laughs> can't be Eugene. I, I tell you, you know, Cape Town is coming for us, guys. They're cutting off our electricity, <laughs> our water supply. <laughs> so David conquered the city, and as a statement of his victory, he made a decree that says, no lame and blind will ever be welcomed in my palace. Yeah, he was the guy that had, a, that had a heart after God. Is that the same guy? Yes. He was still on a journey. Go and read Psalms, okay? <laughs> he made a statement, no blind person, no lame person welcome in the palace of the king as a testimony of his victory to Jerusalem. So now you have to understand Mephi was living in Lodabar. Now, this guy was born in trouble. He was born in this transition between David and Saul. He was a lame beggar, and he couldn't go to the city of Jerusalem for help. And the meaning of the word Lodabar, the city, was the following. A place of disorder a place with no leader, no shepherd, no pasture, barren. Who would want to live in a city like that? I mean, luckily we live in Bloemfontein. I mean, it maybe looks the same, but we've got a cool name. It's like Bloemfontein. It's the first place in South Africa where the roses bloom, if you haven't heard about that. That's why it's called Bloemfontein. But Lodabar, like a place of disorder, no posture, barren, no leadership, rebellion. And then a crazy thing happened. 2 Samuel 9 verse 1. Let's read together. Later on, David asked, Is there anyone left alive from Saul's household to whom I can show gracious love in the memory of Jonathan? Now, you have to understand, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne, but then Saul messed up leadership, so he was taken out, and David was now in the leadership position. But David and Jonathan had a covenant with each other. They had a friendship with each other. And the crazy thing was that this Mephi was actually then, after Jonathan, the rightful heir to the throne. So he was born destined to be a king, but he fell and his life was transformed radically in that moment. He was lame. He was an outsider. He was a lame beggar. And then David, to honor the lineage of his friend, said, where is there still a person left so that I can show gracious love to this 
family. And then Ziba, the servant of David, found Femefi. Now, I think in pictures. So you can imagine the army of the king making their way to Lodabar to go and find Mephi. I mean, he actually survived. He felt, you know, he was a beggar, but he, he survived. And now he's seeing the army of the king coming for him. He can't run. <laughs> he's trying to get his friends to help him. <laughs> but they're like, dude, you're on your own, man. <laughs> it's like, we against the army... <sighs> They capture poor Mephi, taking him to, to the king's palace, and listen to what happened. 2 Samuel 9 verse 6. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Seems like a takeaway restaurant. Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Mephibosheth bowed down and said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Friend, that is what religion does to a person. You start to see yourself as a dead dog in front of the king. I hope by now you, you see the message of the gospel in this story. Because it it goes on and it says in verse 11, Then Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do whatever the Lord for the king commands his servant to do. So he's saying, David, if you say we should give the land back to this guy, I'll do it. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table like one of the king's sons. What happened here? He was destined to be a king. He was left alone, lame, without hope. The king called him into his home. Seated him at his table. Gave him a rightful place in his family. Treated him as one of his own sons. Can you see the picture here, friends? Who's Mephibosheth in this story? It's me. I was born. I was made in the image of the Almighty God. I was born to be a king in the palace, a, a son of the king. But I fell in sin. I became lame spiritually, without hope. I could go nowhere. I couldn't save myself. I was without hope. I couldn't do anything to get back to the palace, to get back to the courts of the king. Then, 
because of God's gracious kindness, His gracious love for me. He called me into His courts and says, come, I'm going to restore to you everything that is rightfully yours. I'm going to give you a seat at my table. You're going to eat like one of my sons. I wonder what it looks like and what it feels like to be invited by God to come and sit at his table. You can follow me if you want. I wonder what the setting would be. If God invites you over for dinner and say, come and sit at my table. What would he prepare for you? Well, for me, grapes. I love grapes. Like a soppy. Don't stress, it's not wine, it's not fermented, it's only grape juice. And obviously, my favorite, oh, ham and cheese. Mm. Oh, it's actually salami. Even better. <laughs> what would it look like to be invited to come and sit at the table of the king. I imagine that God would have a conversation with me. Like, Gina, how are you doing? Come, come, have some grapes. I know you like it. Oh, sorry. Let's put the decor. Yeah, oh, Angel Michael at the table. Oh, Angel Michaela, sorry. Almost the same thing. Come, have some, have some of your favorite salmi. Juice? Gina, how's it going with you? <laughs> I see your boys are growing up. Oh, they're the cutest little things in the world. And you're really doing great with them. And your wife, man, well done. <laughs> Even I am amazed. <laughs> I know about your, I know about everything that you are thinking. My heart was also sad the other night when you went to bed. We had that difficult conversation with that person. I felt what you felt, Gina. I also felt your, your pain a lot. And I know about the stresses of life. I know about that end of the month thing, you know, January with the 66 days and how are we going to get all of this? I know about your insecurities, 
being a father, being a leader. I know all, all about it. And I just want to say, it's okay. Just come and sit. Come and feast. Come and just be with me. Let's just enjoy one another's presence. And you're sitting at the table of the king. But you know what? David wrote in Psalm 23, verse 5, he says, You prepare a table before me. God is preparing a table in the presence of my enemies. Okay, that took a turn. You see, you sit at God's table, but someone else just sometimes pulls up a chair and come and sit here at the table where you are dining with God. His name is Satan. He also want to be part of the dinner table conversation. He would sometimes say something like, do you know, sure, okay. Yeah, this is all good, you know, sure. God really did his best for you. But let's just be honest. I mean, you don't belong here. I know you. You are a sick person. I know you. You don't belong at this table, man. Just be honest with yourself. Or maybe he's saying, you know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. It's not going to last. I mean, this is too good to be true. Uh, you'll probably enjoy it for a few days, and then you're going to be back just where you were eating at your own table with your own gunk and your own stuff. Or we would say, like, really? Do you think this, what God has prepared, is really going to satisfy you? I mean, I know what satisfies you. I know. Are you really going to, you know, eat this? <laughs> I know what you really like. And you're sitting at the table of the king and the enemy is also speaking to you. He's creating doubt in your mind. He's questioning the goodness of God for you. God is saying, let's feast. The enemy is saying, let's not just get into it too much, you know. But listen here, what David is seeing here is that God prepared a table before me in the presence of my enemies, meaning that he sees the enemy standing there and telling him, you planned destruction for my children. You prepared a table of damage and damnation and death for this child of mine, but I am preparing a table of life. Look, Satan, you plan destruction for this person. I am blessing them with abundance. You plan harm for this person. 
I'm telling you, Satan, look at the table that I prepared for my children, for my son, for my daughter. Come look. Yeah. <laughs> I know what you desired. I know what you planned with that trauma that he or she went through. But let me tell you, I'm going to use that in this person's life to bring about my glory, to bring about my goodness. And you sit at the table of God enjoying His goodness, marveling at His grace for you. You see, you have a choice. Who are you going to listen to at the table of the king? The enemy or the king? You see, my friend, you already received the invitation to come and sit. Jesus, how many times in the New Testament, he, he cried out and says, Come to me, all you who are burdened and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me, and I will give you life. Come to me, and drink from the fountain of life. Come as you are, and come and have a seat at my table. You already received the invitation. I want the worship guys to join me quickly. I believe that there are two groups of people here tonight. One group saying, Eugene, I, I heard the invitation. I know that Jesus invited me to come as I am, but I've always just looked at other people sitting at God's table and thinking to myself, I'll never be there. I'll never be good enough. I'll just stay here in Lodabar, in the land of chaos, and just hear the stories of people sitting at the table of the king. Friend, I want to say to you tonight, the invitation of the king is there. Come as you are. You don't have to clean up your life. You don't have to figure everything out before you come to him. You can come exactly as you are. But there's a second group of people that's saying, I'm sitting at the king's table, but I have grown accustomed to listen to the voice of the enemy. I've, I've pulled out a seat for him at the table. I gave him a right to come and sit at my table that God prepared for me. And I'm buying into his lies at the moment. And tonight I want to say, friend, it's not a battle. It's not a fight to silence the enemy. You don't scream and say, enemy, leave me. You know, what, 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 go away. No, you start listening to the voice of the king. And as you listen to the voice of the king, the sound of the voice of the enemy will slowly fade. What a message. 
If you feel that someone would benefit from this, share it with them. We are all about family on mission.